Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Pacorny. Hello and welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we continue to give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Paul uh, uh, Miller uh, Smith, uh, uh, Miller Smith gets. And if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie that either has no sequel or a sequel that doesn't hold a candle to its original and each put our best foot forward trying to come up with the best possible continuation of the story. My guests today are a pair of entertainers. We've got animator, improviser, voiceover actor Derek Luchin, and actor, improviser Jack Seaver McDonald. You can currently catch him on the Mindy Kaling Netflix series, Never Have I Ever, as Eric Perkins. Jack, Derek, how are you today? I'm Fantastic. good. I'm, I'm, yeah. In case anyone didn't get that very specific reference that I made with my name, it is a reference to the movie we are talking about today, 1995's House Guest, starring Sinbad and Phil Hartman. We interrupt this program for a summary of the film. Kevin Franklin is a con man, always looking for his next get-rich-quick scheme. He owes money to the mob, and two gangsters come to collect. He tries to skip town, but they are waiting for him at the airport. After temporarily escaping them by letting his beloved guinea pig loose in an anti-save-the-cat moment, he comes across a family, the Youngs, who are waiting for an old friend of the father, Gary's, that he hasn't seen for 25 years, a celebrated dentist named Derek Bond. Kevin assumes this man's identity and lays low with the Youngs as their house guest over Memorial Day weekend. While he's there, he helps each member of the family with their own individual problems until the real Derek Bond shows up, and at the same time, the mobsters also so find him and take him away. Thankful for how he's changed their lives, the Youngs go to save Kevin as a family. They kind of do, but he gets caught by the gangsters again, at which point he pays them off with a winning lottery scratcher that he's been holding on to for like a day. Several months later, he becomes independently wealthy by writing the best-selling Ultimate Guide to Being a House Guest book and moves in down the street from the Youngs. He also has a best friend named Larry who is a tattoo artist. <laughs> For me, this was something of a pleasure. Uh, this was a movie that I watched a whole, whole lot growing up, and I came up with doing it for a very arbitrary reason involving you, Jack. Can you guess what that was? Okay, it is involving me specifically. It is uh, involving you. Okay. Uh, is, is it my last name being McDonald and this movie's... Uh, apparent love of mcdonald's <laughs> yes that is uh, that is absolutely correct the first thought that i had was to do mac and me the sort of famous cult mcdonald's movie simply because of your last name but but then i had a second thought because this specific movie meant so much to me in particular or at least it did when i was a boy um <laughs> i thought let's give some love to this lesser known <laughs> mcdonald's movie <laughs> yeah um, definitely uh you know actually i have in my notes here i thought that it was gonna be because the whole movie takes place over a memorial day weekend and memorial day is coming up 
Oh, yeah, that would also that would be equally as arbitrary. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's a good guess. The the closer I've gotten to doing this episode, the more I've thought that maybe I picked a, a weird movie to do for this show. I guess I thought that this was a, a well-liked movie, um, and it's not. <laughs> it has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm getting that maybe not a lot of people have heard of it. Uh, I, I think do remember that would be accurate. Uh, oh, you you had okay. I I liked it a lot less as an adult. <laughs> but, uh, my girlfriend watched it with me, and she just absolutely loved it. <laughs> oh, awesome! It certainly didn't live up to what I remembered, but there is likability to it, and I will say, as grating as the character of Kevin Franklin is, I think it it is a good showcase for why Sinbad was a star. I totally oh, agree. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, he, Sinbad was probably one of the best parts of the movie. He he was honestly charismatic and, like, really trying. Yeah, and even given some rough dialogue or just jokes that were hardly jokes, I felt like he still made it, like you said, he was very charismatic. I understand why he was given a, not just one, but a handful of movies to carry. Yeah. It kind of felt yeah, like he, uh, he originally wrote the part for like an Eddie Murphy type, like someone who can just sell it on charisma. And then, well, I, it's, like, I'll take over and do my best. I, it's interesting um, because I have in my notes that John Candy was the first choice to play Kevin Franklin, but he died before filming began. Um, oh. Which, very different type of character, I would think. Oh, yeah. yeah. That almost makes me think that even more than I might have thought of what Sinbad was saying was improvised, because it is just a constant stream of words, you know, just sort of whatever yes. <laughs> comes to his mind. Some the whole the movie is just told to like sell his situation. We're very uncomfortable. Yes. He's telling the story about all of his friends got eaten by sharks in front of him and the eyeballs like touched him. Yeah. I was, like, deeply uncomfortable listening to that. I had to get up and start walking around. <laughs> well, that to me as a kid was one of my favorite moments and specifically the line blood and bubbles and butts. Um, <laughs> And I still think of it as like an iconic line uh, in my memory. As an adult watching that scene, it really, just like everything else that the character does, it really solidified to me that he's a psychopath. Um, <laughs> because he's able to dive into that fake emotional story and even commit to seeming upset and then drop right back out of it at the at the drop of a hat. I was thinking about that. I just yeah. rewatched that scene. and. Phil Hartman just kind of takes it in stride. And <laughs> yeah. like, it was such an absurd story. Like, why would anybody make it up? So, like, I feel like I might. Yeah. Have okay. Wait, hold on, though. Uh, sorry. We, <laughs> we need to talk about Phil Hartman as uh, his character in general. Gary Young yeah. is the stupidest mm -hmm. person I've ever <laughs> seen in a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I I understand that the character arc we watch him have is that he he 
eventually stands up to his boss and makes peace with his own feelings about feeling intimidated by his wife's success. That's that's it for what that character has to go through. Right. However, his role in the movie is to just sort of allow <laughs> Sinbad to run through his world untethered. Yeah. And, and his telling the people. He keeps being like, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. And so other people just like, oh, he's a good guy. I need to believe him. Yeah. Well, and he immediately puts his own Band-Aid on everything Sinbad says by just laughing and going, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's as if there's no one in his life that says anything funny ever. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I have here in my notes, I wrote about Phil Hartman shouldn't have to fake laugh like that. <laughs> <laughs> specifically at the end when it's supposed to be like the happy ending but we'll get there uh, i had forgotten how soothing phil hartman's voice was oh yeah it really like brought back memories for me uh nothing in speci nothing specifically but i was just like i miss this man's voice and i think yeah and rewatch some of his old movies oh yeah put on some classic simpsons oh it's yeah. gonna be a good time I mean, I have endless, uh, eternal respect for the man and, and for as good as he was and as effortlessly as he could do anything. I just feel like the way this character was written, there was no making him seem like a believable human. Yes. Um, even the conceit of the basic premise of the movie, which is that he had this friend at camp 25 years ago and has invited him to stay for a weekend. I mean, I understand that he has a, a, a career and a reputation that makes it a thing that he can, you know, do all these conferences or whatever they are, these presentations. But I just feel like even at the time, even in 1995, there's a lot that we have to immediately be sold on in terms of how little he knows about this guy that he's bringing into his house. Exactly. I, look, I wrote, how dumb Gary is like several times throughout the movie in my notes. I, I mean, he, he tries to be like, you know, remember uh, the camp song and yeah. Sinbad literally goes doobie dooba da a wooba dee da yeah. and he's like, this is fine. This is the song I remember. Yeah, it's it, and what's weird about those moments is it seems as if he's doing that to try to confirm something. Yeah. And then every time that thing is not confirmed and he's fine with it. Yes. Oh, God. He seemed to me like a guy desperate to have a friend. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We see him later in the movie, like, throwing parties and stuff where they have, like, tons of acquaintances that have, like, similar backgrounds and, like, like to play golf together and whatever and it seems like phil's just being shit on by them constantly uh in like his daily life and that he he just is desperate for any sort of like oh this guy likes me this guy gets me we're friends i think it's i i think maybe more than friends it's just fun any sense of fun mm, is yeah. what Gets Kevin through every single situation. Every time he's set up to prove that he is the man he's claiming to be, he says, just forget it. Everybody have fun. Yeah. And then everybody that to do that. He avoids, a, he avoids a few situations by just telling people to get drunk. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, I got some notes from the very beginning of the movie. Sinbad's car is responsible for global warming. 
It, it looked like the scene from Parasite where they're like fumigating the streets. And yes, it, it was just falling apart as he was driving. Just to like really was, realize that this guy does not have it together. Throughout the movie, I kept being reminded of Parasite. I mean, the Kevin Franklin character is easily as effective as a Parasite as any of those people in the movie. I mean, in terms of the way he integrates himself uh, into any situation and then survives. Um, that car reveal, I remember loving as a kid and I loved it just <laughs> as much as an adult. I, in fact, I like that whole opening sequence with the young Kevin in the fountain and all that stuff. I remember in restarting this movie, you know, all the way up through the car sequence being like, oh yeah, oh, this is just as good as I remember. <laughs> I do think the car is very funny when the, the Porsche or whatever is parked in front of his car and you're like, oh, he's in that car. And then he moves yeah. slightly and you're like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's a great reveal. I I also love how specific and simple Kevin's likes are. Like he want he always wanted a Porsche, and so he got a Porsche. You know what I mean? Like he was never gonna have any other car that wasn't a Porsche. It just happened to be a huge hunk of trash. Right. And he loves McDonald's, so he only eats McDonald's. Like he he knows what he likes, and he gets it however he can. Yeah, including grabbing it out of someone's hands, who is then fine with it because it's Gary the Dum Dum. Well, and Gary has a second Big Mac ready to go in that <laughs> yes. scene. Yes. I remember there being a time in which I showed it to some friends in high school, and those friends you know, made a big point of being like, oh my god, the uh, product placement for McDonald's in this movie is crazy. And as a kid, I'd never noticed. I mean, I remembered it. It was just, as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a fun plot point. They love McDonald's. Right. What's yeah. the problem? As a kid, as a kid, you go to McDonald's so much. You're like, oh, yeah, this is what adults do, too. You know, <laughs> McDonald's very often. Uh, you're just like, oh, my God, he's living off this. He even says, um, and for the grownups, Mickey D's right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of fun facts related to McDonald's when it comes to this movie. One, the small town where they filmed the whole thing, Sewickley, which is a real town, did not have a McDonald's. So they built a completely functional McDonald's in the town that was open for business during the shoot. And then once the movie was over, they closed and dismantled it. Oh, my God. Do we have a do we have a budget on this movie? The budget, oh boy, yeah, uh, let me let me find that. I my my other fun McDonald's fact is that there it there was no promotional tie-in with McDonald's. This was literally oh just God. the script as originally presented. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. It feels like they sold this like to McDonald's like, "Hey, we'll give you a lot of advertisement if you fund this entire movie." The fact that they Yeah, I mean, did any any money for that? Feels Based on how, how, yeah, heavily it's featured, I was expecting this to be one of those VHSs that they sold at McDonald's, <laughs> you know, back in the day. But no, there was no promotional tie-in. The writers just, uh, just, I guess, either loved McDonald's or loved that plot point. It had a budget of $10.5 million and what? grossed $26.3 So a, mo a, a moderate success. 
Yeah, I guess so. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I don't remember this movie having any kind of a stink on it. Although, boy, in comparison to some modern bad movies, I still liked it more. Sure. Yeah. How, however, I will say that even in comparison to something like Home Alone 2, which features a lot of the same, like, okay, you got dumb criminal bad guys, you got kids, you got wackiness, everybody mm-hmm. was so much more over the top in this. Yeah. The bad, the bad guys especially. Those were some real cartoony mobsters. Oh, I oh, okay. Let's talk about the mobsters. <laughs> <laughs> I bet every day they showed up like, I wonder how silly I can get away with being. And then they just kept being told, yo, you nailed it. <laughs> I just kept thinking they must be exhausted after their shots. I don't think there was a single second they weren't pulling some emotion. It was either, I'm angry at you for being stupid, or, oh, I'm worried about happy, or, oh, there he is, get him, get him. It was just, whew. <laughs> Yeah, just doing that. I know, and just so yeah, they must have been exhausted, but also they—it seems like they did those mobster scenes from twelve different angles and used all twelve <laughs> angles. There was not two solid seconds where there wasn't a cut. The editor just had a problem. You know, I will say for its running time being probably a little bit longer than it needed to be, the movie moved pretty well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pretty fast. I, yeah, we we took a break halfway through just to, like, get food or whatever, and I was like, oh, wow, that moved by pretty fast. And it was like, oh, good, it's at least halfway done. <laughs> I do remember what I think is really sort of the heart of the movie being that he's connecting with each member of the family and making their lives better. I remember that being more of the movie than it is. It's probably yeah. only about 10 minutes of screen time that he spends doing that. Oh, it's it's one it's basically one scene each. Like uh with the son who wants to be an NBA star whether it's through his own volition or his dad just telling him he wants to be an NBA star. And then the daughter <laughs> has tea with he just one scene with the oldest daughter where he like talks to her about the boyfriend who's the worst person in, in the entire world. Well, and that scene really made me uncomfortable because the way, I mean, I know he also says that she needs to get over the dead guys, but most of what he says to her is just that you're, how fine she is. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And then how, um, how we even got into do? that scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. The, the amount of time the parents spend looking to him to solve their problems is insane. They oh, okay, yeah. so have, they hadn't had a single moment together yet, uh, him and the oldest daughter, and then the parents, like, when no. she gets upset, go, well, you seem to have a connection with her. You go deal with <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. Well, okay, so uh, just sort of uh, bringing it back to uh, more of a non-specific, n- nothing specific to the plot, but just Kevin Franklin in general. Uh, he is, more than I remember, just the worst person. I mean, he's just... <laughs> A disaster of a person. I found him deeply unlikable. And I yeah. wondering in the movie who the main character was supposed to be. Like who we were supposed mm-hmm. to relate to. And when I realized like, oh no, this is all we get. Because I was like, oh, Phil Hartman will be the likable one. And then when he kind of was like taking pot shots at his son for missing baskets and stuff, I was like, oh, ugh. 
Oh yeah. And he's shitty to his wife and his, and I think at some, he says at some point to his wife that you need to connect with the girls more and then oh, yeah. never proceeds to connect with the girls himself. So I think that that was just sort of the writer having, letting it be known what he felt the household roles were back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think this writer has a very clear idea of what a racist person is like of what a woman <laughs> is like and what a teenager is like. Throughout the movie, it made me a little bit uncomfortable how how often I was thinking, oh, he's getting away with all this because he's black. And oh, yeah. all, all of the white people are just either transfixed or just don't, like it's going over their heads or they just, they themselves just don't want to be racist. I don't know, but I, I like, maybe that's me putting that on there, but I definitely felt it constantly. Whether right. I, I, it or I, I do feel like that's how it was. I, I was just going to say, I have in here, look, Kevin makes everything better. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> a character is like sad or uh, there's an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, like Derek said earlier, he's like, oh, this wine, it makes you drunk. That's what's good about it. Yeah. Take that, sommelier. <laughs> Boy, that sommelier scene. Oh, well, okay. Uh, just to get a little bit into the background of the filmmakers. So the writers that we uh, are so fond of, um, <laughs> their names are Michael J. Uh, Gitano and Lawrence Gay, and they have no other film writing credits. Um, oh, no. their, other writing, <laughs> their other writing credits include a few episodes of Get Smart, which is pretty cool at least, and the short-lived Ferris Bueller series. But the director of this movie, Randall Miller, also directed uh, the kid and play movie Class Act, The Sixth Man, and the wine country movie Bottle Shock. So I wondered if he he gravitated toward sommelier themed <laughs> right. jokes and plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know any of those I other movies. The Sixth Man. I grew up watching The Sixth Man. It kind of sounds like the same way you grew up watching this one. Yeah, I, I do remember seeing The Sixth Man, at least. I was a huge but fan for whatever... of The Brothers. Oh, yeah. Senseless? That was my jam. I love um, Their sitcom was one of the first sitcoms I remember watching next to, like, Sister, Sister and stuff like that. And, uh, it, I don't know, I just really enjoyed their sense of humor and whatever. So when they, every, any movie they came out with, I was just like, oh, I have to see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they were... Well, Great back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, another example that I wrote down of Kevin just being a total, total psycho is when he's making up with the dog and feeding the dog yes. all the food. He's talking to that dog in the exact same way he talks to any person. There is no distinction between a dog and a person for Kevin Franklin. He's just going to talk his way through the situation and, until he wins. <laughs> God, yeah, um, and just the things yeah. he was saying to the dog, too. Always about some women. Uh -huh. Everybody needs a woman. I gotta say, it was classy that they never used the B word at all. Because I was, I kept waiting for it. He classy, it came to the, classier to the dog than he was to a lot of the people in the in the movie. <laughs> I like the use of the dog. I, I, and I, it got me, I didn't remember the gag where the dog was tied up. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> The mom just says, oh, Carl. <laughs> I really enjoyed that moment. Yeah, that um, was a good one. And I remember... Can we talk about how Kevin lies completely unnecessarily at times? 
like when he finds the funeral jacket and he just tells oh yeah in, in the party a different meaning for what the three letters stand for and there's no I, I mean I think do that yeah I think that that's a telling sequence about his psyche I think that he really doesn't have as much control over his lying as he, as one might think I think it is it's pathological it seems yeah. like that's just sort of how he reacts to absolutely every person is what does this person want to hear I'll tell them that and then if that doesn't work I'll just say whatever I have to to get out of here right at one point during the that joke montage where he's coming up with different meanings for GFH, uh, mm -hmm. I wrote one of the script notes accidentally got in the uh, movie when the waitress said, is that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> that was just the actress giving uh -huh. her opinion. They left yeah. it in. <laughs> Am I supposed to laugh at this? Do I... <laughs> It was very striking <laughs> how none of them were funny, with the exception of like one, which was like, I think it was like G strings for something. That was the only one that like caught me off guard and genuinely seemed funny to me. But it just felt like it, there was like ten to fifteen jokes here, and none of them got punched up at all. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely got the sense that they just let Sinbad himself have carte blanche when it came yes. to. The one-liners, because even in that sequence where he's driving at the beginning, he's he's talking constantly and making a bunch of jokes, but they're different kinds of jokes. Some of them are jokes about being a black person. Some of them are about TV shows. Some of them, like he 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 just pulls from wherever and throws it in. It's very inconsistent. Oh yeah, it. Uh, I one time in particular I can recall of that type of thing is when he first sees his bedroom at. Uh, the Young's <laughs> house and for some uh -huh. reason he gets super excited about all the pillows and, <laughs> yeah. and the editor like cuts around him jumping onto the bed and does this whole montage of him playing on a bed saying uh, I'm a pillow monster well and at that point I was questioning it's a long time before they give you a reason that he has to stay Mm -hmm. Because he went with them just to get away from the mobsters at the airport. But then he stays for days before he gets the phone call from his buddy. That <laughs> sort of like is supposedly what's keeping him there. And going back to what you were saying about the bed sequence, in general, I would say besides the drunken Somalia sequence, I don't know that any musical sequence in this movie is necessary. Um, <laughs> 100%. Specifically the scene where he and Phil Hartman are trying on golf clothes. Oh my god. Uh, the idea of two, and also the fact that they're staying in the same spot where they are in the store. Yeah. The idea of two grown men doing the things that they're doing is insanity. <laughs> and he like, uh, Franklin complains about how he looks like he didn't have a say in it. Yeah. I I forget what yeah. joke he made, but oh, he said something oh. that was like, I, I look like blank. Yeah, I'm sure it was hilarious. Um, you know, <laughs> Me too. Probably you were laughing too loud to hear it, is what happened. Exactly. That's definitely it. I, you know, this movie, uh, there wasn't a whole lot, uh, you know, in, go, in doing these, uh, these episodes, it's a lot of times I'll find some really fun stuff about what happened on set or that kind of thing. There's not a lot when it comes to... 
uh, house guest. And so what my question became was whatever happened to Sinbad? Because the charisma is still apparent, at least. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's not there's not a really fun answer. He he it sounds like the roles just stopped coming and, and he ran out of money. He's declared bankruptcy twice. Oof. Um, yeah, it seemed like he just kind of like he took comedy like he, like he like he went to a, a NACA event, which is like how um, colleges book comedians. And he just mm-hmm. gave like the booker a hundred dollars. He says, give me five minutes. If I'm not the funniest guy you've seen, uh, uh, I'll give you a thousand or something like that. And he said he did that with like wow. no money to his name other than that. And he booked like hundreds of shows from it. Because he was like the most charismatic guy that went up there, so it makes sense to me, like that he became famous with an attitude and a and a charisma like that. So I always just assume retired at like the height of like, well, like I don't know, with fame and a mansion in Malibu somewhere. I mean, hopefully he has some of those things. Based on that, I didn't realize how autobiographical this movie was. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, that it, it immediately reminds me of the scene where he helps the kid beat the older kids in basketball. He bets Ugh. the family's car. Yeah. yeah. And it's, <laughs> I mean, that's like a, that's like a gambling addict move right there. Well, he then proceeds uh, to cheat immediately. He starts bouncing balls off of little kids' noses and busting their faces <laughs> in. And, I oh. mean, everybody seems to think that that's, uh, right. Fair game. Yeah. 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 Even and I, I believe that on, is... He just comes in, he just comes in holding his nose like, oh, I guess there's a new way they bounce past these days. Yeah. And I believe when the family is summing up all the ways in which he helped them, that is the boy's way, is he taught me the bounce pass. <laughs> uh, why, why does he, like, is it just to humiliate them that he says, oh, well, you have to give us your clothes if I'm putting up the car. Yeah. Well, he seems, you know, every for the most part, everything works for him. Um, well, yes. That he tries. But it's very apparent that he's great at basketball. And for a second, I thought, well, why didn't he try to play basketball? But I feel like the character just wouldn't do that. He's too lazy. Right, exactly. Or, and also, what he's, are a group of kids going to do with a car? Also, oh, straight from the airport, he drives their car like a crazy person, almost killing tons of people. And Uh, Phil Hartman's reaction is, whoa, you have changed. Completely Uh, disregarding the safety of the children in the backseat. I I don't have kids, but if I was responsible for a lizard, I'd be like, hey, man, can you not drive like this? I'm trying to take care of this lizard in the back. And it's, you've just been, that's the other thing about Gary is he, I mean, he was best friends with the real Derek Bond, who's a total conservative stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like Gary should be a conservative stiff, and he's not. It's as if he's always tried to be, but Sinbad is the first person who, uh, once again, ever showed him the concept of fun. Yeah. And now he's, <laughs> he's realizing what life can be. And that well, is also a good point of just wanting, recognizing fun and being like, I'm going to let this ride. Uh, this is the only thing in my life that's ever been different. I'm going to see what happens. Even giving the movie that, it is crazy <laughs> when Kevin is taken away by the mobsters 
and they decide to go after him as a family. Yeah. I don't understand that decision at all. I guess I do un- I understand enough that they like the guy, but it's not enough. No. No. Yeah. Especially with like the wife too. The wife seemed like the most down to earth grounded character in this whole thing. And even she was like, Yeah, let's go save him. Like, no, man, they had guns. Yeah. Yeah. And when um they get to the race and Gary runs by himself after them, she cheers. She throws him a hand up in the air and goes, Go, Gary. Like <laughs> no concern for whether or not he's gonna come back alive. Oof, yeah, oof, oof, oof. Yeah, not not quite the classic uh, that I remember, unfortunately. But uh, we're going to pitch some sequels to it anyway. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds great. Do both of you have pitches? I've got a couple ideas. Uh, yeah, I, I have some sort of half ideas as well. I don't have fully fleshed out concepts, but... Cool. Yeah, yeah I've got... A sentence. <laughs> I mean, that's all you need. I have a direct sequel pitch and a modern sequel pitch Ooh, in my like. chamber. However, before we get into that, I always ask the following questions as sort of a preface to the pitches. Number one, should this movie have a sequel? Uh, no. No, it shouldn't have had an original. It shouldn't have had it itself. <laughs> you know, um, I guess when I pitched this to you as the episode, I guess I did think it should have a sequel um, mm-hmm. before rewatching it, and <laughs> and uh, and now I, I I'm I'm more in your camp. I don't. Um, I mean, I guess I'm glad you know uh, that it exists for the sake of mine having the nostalgia. But other than that, yeah, it could it could it could just not be there, and the world would I be mean, fine. It sort of has the attitude and like feeling of a bad sequel already but (laughs) but but another thing though that i was thinking regarding like you know you guys watched it in your childhood i do genuinely think it is a good children's movie or like a seven to ten year old i think it's got a good pace and sort of stuff that seven to ten year olds like that's true they're never not trying to have fun in the movie Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but who the fun is for is definitely seems like children. Yes, it does feel like this is like a shoddily written sequel where they're like, "Look, we have to go into production in a month. What can you put together?" And it just never <laughs> quite got finished or polished in the in the early phases. Yeah, for how it seems, which is just a like a first draft that everybody stuck to, with the exception of Sinbad, who w- once again was given free reign to say whatever he wants, scene to scene. It came out pretty well. Yeah. Considering. Right. I will give it yeah. that it, it told a story from beginning to end. And even though I, <laughs> it did feel very shallow at times, I thought, you know what? That's better than some movies I've seen. <laughs> okay, so then the next question I have Sequel or prequel? What is the sweet spot if you're gonna do it? I didn't. I think consider a prequel. I I've just never. I don't know. I I think no. When I think back on being a kid and watching this movie, I think that probably the ultimate other movie that I would like to have seen connected to it would be a prequel, and it would be about Derek and Gary as kids at Camp Maple Ridge. 
Give it a heavyweights vibe and I'm in. The problem, I guess, is you don't get Kevin in that equation, but maybe there could just be a subplot about where Kevin is at that time as a kid, the the mischief he's getting into. Well, the the movie Mm -hmm. starts with him hanging a kid by his ankles over a fountain and just dipping his head in like mobster style for the for the other kid to just grab him change from the fountain. So yeah. I would love to see more of his hijinks where he's just an absolute delinquent. I do want to know more about uh, Larry, Kevin's mm-hmm. put-upon friend, who seems to think he has absolutely no control in the situation every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this asthmatic tattoo artist. I don't think they ever actually say, like, oh, here's your inhaler. Yeah, you have asthma. But he's just out of breath all the time. (laughs) Yeah. In the beginning, I thought it was because he lugged the box upstairs. So it was, like, really confusing that throughout the movie, he used that as just, like, a a delivery choice of all of his lines. It was Was how he conveyed emotion. It was either deep breathing or screaming out of nowhere. (laughs) yeah he looked like he was just like uncomfortable like i don't know if he was wearing like a fat suit of some kind but his body just looked odd and yeah felt like he was just really hot in whatever they gave him to wear yeah i think he's just a weird shaped guy i do and and going back to so like yes there'd be plenty of uh ripe juiciness to 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 draw from uh Kevin's youth, but in thinking about what would be going on at Camp Maple Ridge with Gary and Derek, could still be fun. I do want to know where the origin of the butt slaps came from. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Because throughout the movie, Phil Hartman is constantly slapping Sinbad's butt, and that doesn't track for me as something that Gary or Derek would be comfortable with. That's so funny. I there with everything else going on in the movie, I that seemed so minor. I couldn't <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's three or four of them. I never, you know, paid any heed to it before this viewing. Well, it felt like Phil Hartman seeing Sinbad like immediately snapped him into like his childhood when he was the happiest he had ever been. Like when you see an old mm-hmm. friend, you kinda of revert back to that. But yeah. no, they didn't seem like they were like basketball players or some sport they didn't seem sporty were like that's socially acceptable so yeah i would i would like to know the origin of that to that point he does mention that derek was the camp basketball star oh yeah uh, that you may have just answered my question i don't think they're i think sinbad himself is necessary for there to be another movie in the house guest universe Yes, Kevin Franklin is more necessary to the franchise than Gary Young. Mm-hmm. Well, with that uh, being as good of a transition as I think we're going to get, does anyone want to go first with their pitch? I, I have one. We're going to have one hell of a Memorial Day weekend. I would like the exact opposite movie. I want to see Phil Hartman has <laughs> in the ghetto for three days. I... I want there to be a scene where he has to get that ST3 haircut that his oldest <laughs> I, I want yeah. to see him just like lie his way through situations just because they're both, they just both seem like such bad liars. And 
I just want to. I just want to see the exact same movie, but done with Phil Hartman in the ghetto. <laughs> Do you have a title for this uh, for this proposed movie? No, but I'm accepting pictures. Let's go with. My, how about? How about oh, okay, go ahead. I was just gonna say my first thought was hood guest. That is exactly mine. That was exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> good, good. I love it. I love it. I and. I will. Uh, there's some merit there. I do want to see that. I want to see Gary become more Kevin, for sure. Mm-hmm. Which is, and the whole um, movie could be like uh, Phil Hartman's character learning to relax, like learning to actually have fun in life and learning how to talk to people like a human being. Oh, he's up for it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll I'll go ahead with my direct sequel pitch next, and then you can and then you can have a turn, Jack, and we'll. Okay. We'll keep cool. going around. Less than a year after House Guest, Kevin Franklin now lives down the street from the Young family. The kids love spending time there because his house is like a big party space. There's just one problem. Kevin has spent his way through all of his book publishing money and returned to his old habits of investing in get-rich-quick schemes. When his involvement in a number of shady investment schemes lands Kevin in jail, the Youngs take it upon themselves to get him out. Gary acts as his counsel, while the kids begin renting out Kevin's funhouse to their friends for parties and things like that. Kevin, meanwhile, gets things wired for himself in prison pretty quickly with his fast-talking, fun-loving ways. He even has guards smuggling in McDonald's for him. (laughs) But his rise to the top is met with anger from a few particularly violent inmates who are used to having things their own way. Separately, uh, while this is going on, Kevin aids in building the confidence and prison rep of a new, like, nebbish, sort of white-collar inmate named Rudy. Played. My dream casting for this role is Stephen Toblowski. Oh my Uh, gosh, I love Stephen Toblowski. Yeah. Yeah, he's the inmate that uh, Kevin is sort of giving the Gary treatment to in prison. So after going through some of the things in Kevin's house, Emily, uh, Gary's wife, grows concerned that Kevin might be past help in terms of the way he lives. So she brings in Larry, Kevin's old kid friend, to tell some old stories of Kevin's ways and help convince Gary that prison might be the right place for Kevin. (laughs) Gary is almost convinced until there's a failed attempt on Kevin's life in prison, which sends Gary into overdrive trying to help him. Gary even takes up uh, some of Kevin's uh, Ponzi sale schemes to help raise money towards the cause. So you do get to see a little bit of Gary being Kevin-esque. Throughout the film, Kevin meets with each of the youngs in prison, like through the glass, and sees the negative influence he's had on all of their lives, and thus decides to throw his own trial by pleading guilty. In a moment of touching sacrifice, he sells himself down the river, but is saved at the last minute by the appearance of Rudy, the Stephen Toblowski character, who takes full responsibility as the mastermind of the Ponzi scheme that got Kevin busted in the first place. Kevin and the young celebrate, and Kevin vows that he's going to change his ways for real this time. Six months later, he's back in jail, but minimum security prison this time. So he has the same perks, but no violent enemies. And the young family, a little more streetwise now, but with their integrity still intact, more or less, uh, they visit him often. And that 
is my pitch for House Guest 2, The Big House. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Well done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea more than the movie that we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I will say, when it says six months later, it has to say six months and four days later, because that's a very important joke in House Guests. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that. I mean, I did, I, I, I had thing. not noticed that until this last viewing. Is the first one 25 years and four days later? Y- yeah. 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 What a weird, specific joke. Yeah. Um, I but I will happily take that note like derek said i i think that is absolutely in the like realm of this uh world that they've created and it it would make sense it would be fun to watch i think i just i just felt like it was important to acknowledge that kevin is a problem okay. <laughs> like <laughs> rather than a solution person you should want to be uh i will give you a note uh, I think the attempt on his life should happen uh, in the uh, prison uh, uh, basketball game. I was Ooh, trying to think I of like that. It's like a playoff basketball game in prison. And he, he has to win for some reason, but he also can't get killed for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, def- I like that a lot. And I definitely, um, I feel like based on how the first one went, you would... Even though the youngs kind of have more to do in this one, you would still be spending most of your screen time with Kevin in prison. Oh, there's definitely um, got to be a scene of him in solitary, joking to himself like he does in the car in the beginning of uh, the house guest. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of him being driven insane, all the guards that were watching him in solitary are driven insane. No one seems to mind him. As irritating as he is, even right. even Jeffrey Jones, who he kind of puts down, never full on. I mean, he, he like tries to bust him at the end, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Nobody see, he doesn't seem to grate on anybody, including his best friend, who it seems like his life he's ruined over and over again. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Larry, there's two jokes in the movie that I don't know that I understood as a kid, and I still don't understand. When the Harley biker drives into his tattoo parlor and yells at him for drawing a like a Vespa on his chest instead of a Harley, mm-hmm. why did that happen? Well, I mean, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? <laughs> I, I have no reason to believe that Larry doesn't know what he's doing as a tattoo artist. Yeah, so... Yeah, I just don't understand why he felt like he could get away with that or why there was no incident that caused him to have to draw it that way. So, right. Yeah. And then the other joke that confused me and it more more as a kid baffled me is when the the gangsters ask for the tour of the country club. <laughs> and they introduce themselves as the Millers, then the Smiths, then the Miller Smiths. The guy who gives him the tour says, "Oh, the Miller Smiths." So, yeah. There are Miller Smiths? <laughs> That's I think that I, is what is implied. I think it's either that or he just didn't want to look stupid and he was like newer. He's like, "Oh, there must mm. be a Miller Smiths. That seems like oh, that seems like a hoity-toity name." 
I guess he could just be so desperate to get membership. I mean, he is very aggressive in his pitch. Yeah, and also they wait such a long time before giving up on the tour and throwing this guy off the golf cart. <laughs> oh yeah, the Simbad and his friends were at the ninth hole, I believe. Well, and I don't really understand what happens to the gangsters once they throw the guy out of the cart. I don't understand what happens to the cart. Like, where they go. They somehow accidentally I... drive right next door to the gun range. Which oh, is yeah, that's right. Golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like they're going, they're shooting at the people on the gun range. So somebody died, probably. Yeah, like definitely. They just didn't it's show just, it. Somehow that was the most absurd thing in the movie to me. The fact that everyone go gets quiet for golf is right next to a gun range. And this is supposed to be like a hoity-toity country club. <laughs> yeah. Also, the logic of the speed golf really falls apart. Because based on the way they're doing it, it would take them way longer to get through yes. the course. He throws um, the ball. He, he, at the very beginning, they all hit their balls. Yeah. Hit, like, let's say, 100 yards. He's not throwing his ball that far. With his, no, he throws it shittily. Yeah, he throws it like almost like a shot put. He's got like, uh. But it goes just as far as everyone else's. I guess his height was a huge advantage in that throw. Uh, but then he just, I guess, proceeds to play the rest of the game like that, where nobody notices he's just throwing his ball. Yeah. Well, and once again, he does that so offhandedly that the implication is he just is lying always, always, always. He is not, like, I definitely felt like I was supposed to think of him as a normal guy that I want to be okay, but he is not. He is not a normal man. Yeah, you yeah. put it perfectly when you said pathological liar, and yeah, yeah. he is 100% a con man. Okay, well, Jack, are you ready for, for your pitch? Uh, y yeah, sure. Um... Oh, happy. I'm telling you, I'm going to be very happy here. I'm extremely happy, happy. I definitely thought of this sort of a similar thing as you. Kevin is definitely going to run out of his money from his book because he just, he doesn't make smart money decisions ever. Um, <laughs> and I, so I was thinking, like, he... Runs out of money, but yeah, he, he lives in the same neighborhood as the young family. And if this is more of a current sort of modern uh, sequel, then yeah, he starts running like an Airbnb. And you, uh, I, I'm thinking, you know, he's got to deal with a bunch of new people coming into his house and like figuring out how to host people. And I think many hijinks could ensue from his inability to tell the truth ever. And people will ask <laughs> about weird things on the wall or uh, if the house is like uh, safe. And you'll be like, you've never had a shaky table before? It makes breakfast taste better. And <laughs> <laughs> so just him interacting with a whole new host of people and then having the reliable young family to uh, sort of have breaks of like, man, this Airbnb business is hard. <laughs> and uh, 
So it's basically going to be sort of uh, him coming around to understanding Gary's position in the first movie and uh, learning that lying, the lying needs to stop and he needs to just go and <laughs> fix fix things to have a smoother running life. And uh, for a title, I'm thinking we just add an S. It's House Guests. Ooh, okay. Love it. Nice. Well, and it also, it tracks with where the first one ends up because he wrote that How to Be a House Guest book. So, of course, he's this big house guest celebrity, then people would want to come be a guest in his house. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think that works. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, uh, I like the idea. I also like the idea of him running out of money, and because he is—he just keeps establishing how bad he is, how bad he is with money throughout the movie. But they yeah. just have expanded their yogurt empire uh, too much, mm-hmm. and he needs to take over a store to help ease their burden. <laughs> so it's just him trying to run a yogurt store and deal with teenagers that are working for him. Uh, shop guest. Yeah, uh, that sounds like as much of a movie as we got with this one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then, yeah, my other concept. As a as a modern take on this, sort of make it like a uncut gems, which I don't know if either of you guys saw that movie. I have not had the. Chance I did not really. Well, I don't want to ruin it, so I will hold back on part of this, but basically it's just a movie shot in more or less real time that is an intense, gritty, <laughs> dramatic telling of a scheme gone, scheme of Kevin's gone wrong. You sort of see where he's at in modern day. He's no longer linked to the Youngs at all. He's his same scheming lying struggling self and it's just it's it's sort of like the his main plot of the first one when it comes to like being in with the mob or someone someone that he owes money to being after him and it's just a very sort of like uh documentation of his struggle to survive and and keep going with his uh you know scheming lying fun having ways uh as the intensity cranks up more and more I, I think like it. bringing it into a different, yeah, I think bringing it into a different genre would uh, elevate the first one. <laughs> if people were to see this movie called Let's Guess Two, they'd be interested in where it came from. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that one. Well, I don't want to tell you the title for that one because it spoils uh, it spoils something in Uncut Gems. So we'll just uh, call that untitled. All, all right. right. Well, we did good work here today, gentlemen. Yeah, definitely. We, I think that we gave the first movie better than it deserved. (laughs) Yeah, we watched it. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to uh, stay on the line and chat with you guys some more. But before we stop recording, would there be anything that you'd like to plug on our way out? Just, uh, you know, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch Never Have I Ever on Netflix, go uh, watch that. And you can find me on uh, my Instagram at Jack Seaver, J-A-C-K-S-E-A-V-O-R. Catch me on Instagram, uh, Derek's Dumb Hobbies. 
Derek, all one word. Derek is D-E-R-E-K. Uh, and yeah, go watch Never Have I Ever. I absolutely loved it. I was so proud seeing Jack in it. I turned him into some memes oh. and posted those online. Um, oh, nice. Very much Team Eric. I've yet to see it, but it looks fantastic. And Ethan, a, a friend of mine who was in the same improv class as Jack and I, uh, has sent me several clips of Jack in it, and uh, I've delighted in all of them. So I, I am looking forward to it. It looks like a fantastic series in general. So very, very cool, and congratulations on that, Jack. Thank you so much. You know. Oh, I was going to pick up some lottery scratchers in an on-themed way to declare a winner, but... Mm -hmm. In lieu of that, because I didn't do it, I guess we could vote. Okay. I can't see your hands, so <laughs> I guess just say the word vote. One vote. And you can vote for as many pitches as you like. So it's not like you have to pick an all-time favorite. We'll just sort of go on average number of votes. All right. So we'll start with Hood Guest. One vote from me. Oh, vote one vote for me as well. Yeah. So then we have House Guest 2, The Big House. I will uh, cheat on the ballot, and I will also sign my brother's name. So I'm going to give you three votes on this. Whoa. Holy cow, that's a first. Yeah. I, I yeah. think, uh, yeah, one, one vote for me for The Big House uh, <laughs> as well, because I that one sounds the most likely to be made. Next was House Guests with an S from Jack, which I will give one vote to. I would love to see House Guests have some element of them needing to band together to defend the house. Ooh. Against Housekeepers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll give that a vote. I um, see that one. Uh, honestly, any of these sequels sound like fun ideas. I think we just we just got to start writing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what was your second sequel pitch called, Derek? Yo guest. Oh, that's right. Uh, shop guest. Shop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'll, I'm gonna give that two votes. Uh, I, the I the. <laughs> I think I okay. I, I think I'm gonna agree I, with Derek. Oh, okay. All right. Well, at least I gave it some love. Uh, and then the final one to vote on would be the untitled, uncut gems house guest hybrid film. Uh, I'll I'll give Which, it a vote. I mean, I gotta see Uncut Gems, but for now, it, it has a vote. I'll give it a, a vote uh, for myself just for the sake of wanting to see Sinbad return in a glorious fashion. Mm -hmm. But uh, because of Derek's, I believe it was four votes, the winner of the follow-up showdown today is House Guest to The Big House. Good, fine, and healthy. And baby, you it. Bam! So thank you guys for that. I Boy, this is an emotional moment for me. Well-deserved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't let little Paul down. So <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time and your ideas and all this. It was really fun. I'd love to have you back on. But uh, until then, good luck uh, with quarantine and uh, stay safe, guys. Thanks, man. You too. It was a good time. Yeah. Aha. Well, good. I I'm glad to hear it. Follow-up showdown. I'm thrilled to have the whole gang here, and what better film to celebrate the occasion than 1976's Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. 
I can think of yeah. movies I've enjoyed less. 